And I got the cutest comment the other day. I had quite a few comments the last two weeks asking if I was okay and all these things. I don't know if I looked tired or stressed, but yes, a lot of things have been happening in my bubble. But on Instagram and basically on Instagram, I plan out my social media posts one month ahead of time, just like I plan out my personal Game Changer podcast and our podcast topics. Which impresses me. It's like, how do you even do that? I'm lucky to get time for breakfast. Well, so am I. And this is why if I don't plan as much as I can, then I don't eat. Children don't get fed. Dogs don't get walked. Patients don't get treated. So this is how I function. But anyways, the last four weeks I had highlighted mental health and mental health awareness in my social media posts. And people were very shocked when I said that I talked to a therapist and I was like, I think every, I hope everybody has somebody to talk to should they want to, but I love talking to my therapist and yes, I'm okay. And it's because I have a therapist and friends and people like you that I am okay. (laughs) Exactly. There have to be times when it's okay to be not okay, at least in response to a situation or something that comes up, it has to be okay to be not okay for a period of time. I, I have trouble with not okay as a lifestyle choice. I have trouble with that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're entitled to be bummed. You're in the, yep, that is an appropriate emotion for you in response to this situation. Yes. And then as the person who's listening, this is the reason I'm a terrible therapist, is I'm a fix-it guy and I want to fix stuff. When you're a therapist or sometimes just a friend or sometimes a doctor, your job is not to fix it. It's to support the person who's having the response and letting them be where they are at this so they feel accepted. It's I don't post those moods on social media because there are too many people that worry about me already. So I'm not going to tell people yeah. having a bad night. And right. And to each his own. Like I, I but I had, wonderful. what's that? I think what you did was wonderful. I Thank you. It felt good. It felt like the right time. I had been like, I have three teenage daughters and I, worry about what social media does to their brains because it's something I didn't grow up with as a teenager. It was hard enough just being a teenager going to school and hearing about the stuff you missed out on, let alone actually seeing it in your face that you weren't invited to the party or you don't look like that person or blah, blah, blah. When you or and even me, when we were in high school, there was, there were always groups and cliques and there was always the mean girls and they're always girls, I guess mean guys, but it's just different. All girls. Yeah. So there was always the mean girls, but now the mean girls have social media on which to be mean. And so instead of their six or eight or 10 closest friends, who say mean things to whoever 
now those they've got 150 yeah from all over the country or all over the world who join in at being mean exactly and that's it's not okay no and to your to carry over about the mean girls there's mean girls as teenagers and then we develop into grown women and they're still mean girls like they're still there and I know about that we know it <laughs> so Part of the reason why I posted and part of why this is going to be a good segue slash introduction to our sort of topic today that we're going to try to address is there is always, there is a time to be real. And I, that's what I value so much about you as a friend and a mentor is you level with people, you're real. And when something works, it works. And when something doesn't, it doesn't. And all the stuff in between, it's just real. And so the reason why I posted why I want to post, because it was a very real moment I was having. And I was looking at my social media history and it looks very nice, right? That's the whole reason of having a professional social media person is there's delicious food, there's smiling faces, there's healthy bodies, there's treatments, there's all the things, happy dogs. It's all the A-sides. Yeah, but there's... There, it's the other side that gets us to the A side, right? There's the yucky days that make the great days so great. And so that was my part of just being real this month of there's going to be burnt dinners and dog walks that don't happen and chats with your therapist because that day really sucked. But here are some other strategies to get you back on the other side. To your point, Having a bad day, bad week, bad month is going to happen. It's how you choose to put those steps in place to get back on track again. That's what I value so much about working with athletes is there is always some sort of progressive step for betterment. We can all learn from that. Yeah. And the being real part for me applies to my relationships with patients and my relationship to myself. Yeah. So I think I talked about last week, a patient that came in was just, she's, her presenting emotion is anger. Yeah. She doesn't think of herself as an angry person, but she is angry with the receptionist on the phone. She comes in and she lays in, not at me, but saying, you're going to be mad at me because I'm still doing that thing that makes me worse and you told me not to do. Mm. And I'd say, wait, you're mad at you. Why would I be mad at you? You're choosing to keep yourself sick. That's a choice, go for it. And if you wanna come in with that kind of attitude and energy, you can leave it in the parking lot. Don't bring it in here with me. It's two o'clock in the afternoon and I don't need it. You don't get to do that to me. Yeah. So it was not invalidating her emotion. You can go be angry someplace else. You just can't do it to me. And that's okay as a therapist. Yeah. Especially with chronic pain patients. Yes. They, and they are entitled to be (sighs) desperate. They're entitled to be frustrated. They're entitled to be angry at the last three guys that either didn't help or make them worse. They're entitled to be angry that they were told this surgery would help and it has crippled them permanently. 
and they're entitled. And yeah. our job, is, at least my job, the way I approach it is to validate the emotion, tell them how brave they've been and tell them, we will find a way for you to have a life. So that's the conversation that was the topic for today that I warned you about last night. It's yeah. like, what do you do when it doesn't work? So I have a patient that flew out here from New York in a chartered jet plane of some sort. She said it wasn't a Gulfstream because she can't sit. She had a surgery on her sacrum that made her much worse than she was before. Okay. And the, she researched the doctor. He's the best in the country for Tarlov cysts. And that was two, four years. That was four years ago. She hasn't been able to sit. She, she can't do this. She can't do that. She's in constant pain. And she's been with me two weeks. FSM always works for nerve pain always works for facet generated pain. We've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven treatments. And the, if she's a one or a two, one when she gets up off the table, it never lasts till she gets to the parking lot, never lasts overnight. Wow. So yesterday was the conversation that this isn't getting it. We finally had her last MRI reread by somebody that actually looked at the film. And she has a stress fracture as a result of the surgery in her sacrum. Okay. So the radiologist that reread the film said, you need new imaging. And she's got a stress fracture that she's had for four years. Mm. Oh, okay. I can't fix that. No. I don't think. And yesterday I told her that. I said, you're not gonna stay another two weeks. I'm not gonna waste your time or money. I'm not getting it. If FSM is gonna work, especially for nerve pain and bone pain, and it lasts at least 24 hours, we're not getting it. Yeah. But then I listed the things that she can do. And then I made eye contact and said, you will have a life. It will be different than it was four years ago, but you will have a life. We can try these things. Are there risks? She said, and it's like, of course. With everything. Always. Yeah. And we work through those. Yeah. And yes, you're leaving on Thursday because I'm leaving for San Francisco Thursday night. Yes, you're leaving on Thursday, but we have text message and we have email and I will hold your hand through this. And she's got tears leaking from her eyes and you reach out and you give her a hug. It's, it's gonna be okay. It'll be different, but it's okay. So you've, and, you know, I was thinking about your text so much when I woke up this morning, because that's when I got it, because I, I shut my phone off now at 9.30 p.m. And even with my children, they know unless they have a fever of 106 
or on fire or have a bone sticking out, like you have to leave me alone at bedtime. Yeah. Got your text. And it was so funny. So many things ran through my mind this morning because first I thought, how spoiled are we that in all the years I've known you and have known FSM and have been practicing with it, we expect so much out of it. And in the very rare instance, it doesn't work. It's a bit of a gut punch. I'm like, what do you mean it didn't work? It didn't work with you. I get it when other practitioners, when it doesn't work, but with you. And then I thought, where else is there a practitioner and a method and a tool that is so foolproof that when it does right? So reliable that when it doesn't work, it's like, wow, because there's so many patients that see so many best in the world practitioners doing cutting edge treatments and it doesn't work. And it's yeah, because nothing ever works 100% of the time. So that to me was what we take so much of what we do for granted. And with nerve pain, if it was something else, so sure. I assumed that the pain at her sacrum was the S3 nerve root because that's, there was a centimeter and a half Tarlov cyst after the surgery okay. to remove the Tarlov cyst. There was still a centimeter and a half Tarlov cyst at S3. So I assumed that the S3 nerve root was just buttered. Yeah. And her left heel was numb and hypersensitive. Okay. So that's like phantom limb pain. Right. So the stuff that always works for phantom limb pain and for fixing the nerve and she'd get up off the table at a zero. And by the time she got to a parking lot, it was back to a, it's interesting with nerve pain. She came in rating her pain at a six or seven. And then I gave her the verbal descriptions. So we have a pain diagram that has words instead of numbers. What are some of the words like sharp, bright, prickly? No, it's like distressing and I have trouble concentrating on other activities. Um, Slightly bothersome. It's a laminated sheet and I don't know where I got it. And I can make a copy of it and put it in the advanced. Might be interesting to have for sure. So she looked at the words and she said, I'm terrible at numbers, but oh, it's a three or a four. And I'm thinking, well, I live at a three or a four. I mean, if my pain is b- below a three, it's, it hasn't been in, I don't know, 18 years, but you just keep on. Yeah. But it's different for nerve pain. Nerve pain may be a three or a four, but there is something visceral about it. There's two parts to pain. One is how much it hurts. The other is how much you mind it. Yeah. So it hurts a three or a four but you mind it a seven. She's never been athletic. She's never worked outside the home. She raised four children. She had a sheltered and comfortable lifestyle. Her husband was in finance. So she's never had to deal with pain before. So to have this be the first thing that hits her, of course, she's going to mind it a seven. No, you're not being a wimp. This is real. Right. Pain levels of three and nerve pain bothers you a seven. And I've done everything I know 
when you can get rid of phantom limb pain for four weeks with one hour of treatment, hello. So that's where our expectation comes from is just mileage. If she'd walked into a practitioner who's taken the core and lives in New Jersey, and that practitioner had to deal with this complex patient, okay, you keep trying and get frustrated and say, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. For me, I'm still maybe doing something wrong, but I'm doing everything I know to do that usually works. And that's worked at least 20 to 50 times before. So when it doesn't work, what is your ethical responsibility as a clinician, as a practitioner, as a human? So there's a point at which during the clinical experience where you're the clinician and then at some point, especially yesterday for me, you encounter the patient as a person with compassion and not false hope, but at least options. She yeah. was already devastated because FS, FSM was her last hope. She got on a private plane and came across country and scheduled herself for four weeks with me. And I'm telling her at the middle of week two or three, it's they're going home on Thursday. We're done. It's not going to happen. Can't get it done. And this is what we can do. This is what you can try. And maybe FSM can help you once we do these things, once we know what's going on. I need new imaging. I have no idea what's going on inside her sacrum. So that was why the text came in. And that's, it's like, I turn my phone off after I send my last text message at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Again, I was sitting with that because our, obviously with me dealing with sports, FSM is never the only thing that a patient is doing, right? There is this plethora, this multitude, this dream team that is behind an athlete. We've consulted on some very high-end cases. They have an entourage. There are multi factors that go into what's getting this patient better. And when this patient does come back two months early, yeah, we can all say it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was this, or it was that perhaps it was the sum of all the parts. We don't know what it was, but when you have a chronic pain patient, that's in that case of where it is just pointed and so specific on you and the treatment that is a lot. That is a lot to unpack as a therapist. It's a lot of expectation and hope that the patient has. And like anything, there's a lot of buildup, right? I'm sure she's very excited coming in to see you, getting to see you. It's the beginning of a season or, or like New Year's. You have all these hopes and then reality creeps in. And like you were saying, you have not just a professional responsibility, but a human to human heart to heart sort of moment where you're like, I'm sorry, but I can still support you. It's just, it's just, it's sad. I guess at the end of the day, it's one of those real and sad sort of moments that we have. Yeah. And 
it was really interesting how anxious she was when she came in. So it took a week for her, so four, two or three hour sessions to begin to see me or trust me as a person. Sure. So when she first came in, it was the clinician, it was the book, it was the social media, it was the YouTubes, it was all that. And then by week two, it was, you could see her relax. And then I actually don't remember when her first session was, if it was, this was week two or week three. And as you develop a relationship with the patient, especially when they get out of pain, at least for a while, and they find out that you care enough to look for what's wrong. I'm the first person out of everybody she's seen in four years that led her through the anatomy, the neurology, what it could be, instead of just throwing drugs at her. They put in a spinal cord stimulator and it didn't work. Wow. Spinal cord stimulants work even for nerve pain and it didn't work. It's okay. And at the same time, another new patient showed up at the same time as her and he was seeing, he lives in Oregon, but he went down to California and saw a pelvic floor trigger point specialist. And they've been treating trigger points and there was in his pelvic floor and in his groin and there was sensitivity in his boy parts. And I was the first one that went back to, let's do a neuro exam. And there's neurologic hypersensitivity at S2 and S3. And he was the one I talked about that he has to have an S2 disc sense. Nobody has done lumbar x-rays on him. And he's had this for two years and he's seen that's a good face. I just have, so I write it on a piece of paper, have your GP do lumbar x-rays. And his go-to posture is to contract his rectus abdominis. When he gets anxious, he contracts his rectus, which bends his sacrum, which increases his pelvic floor pain. So the other thing we did besides FSM to get rid of the nerve pain, get rid of the trigger points, was put him in the gym and teach him posture and to use the transversus and the obliques and to leave the rectus abdominis lengthened and use the transversus and the obliques to stabilize his lumbar spine and teach, and he's athletic. So there are answers for him and the treatment is lasting. So on any given day, you may have some of each. Yeah. FSM is not, if we had just done FSM for the nerve, the disc, the, the, he had a little mini hernia. If we'd just done FSM, it wouldn't have lasted. You had to retrain his posture, retrain how he uses his body. Yeah. It's. That's obviously, that's why I love doing sports course so much. Cause that is what, 
blows my hair back all the time. That's the fun stuff. I want to go back to the patient that left though for a second. I have a couple questions for you for her. So obviously you didn't just do one or two treatments with no success. You you saw her how many times do you think? Seven times? At least. Yeah. yeah. And each session is two to three hours. Okay. And you're trying different things, obviously. You're going with what strategically, statistically would work the best based on history, based on your mileage, based on based all the objective the, findings. The, there has to be objective findings when you, yeah, yeah you have to That's look where at you start, right? That's where the logic and the science behind this originates and then you have to start going into the creative lateral recesses of your brain when it doesn't work but when you've exhausted that so what is it like why didn't it work oh leaf in the q a is saying why can't you do torn and broken in the bone for the stress fracture what's the problem is she has osteoporosis her vitamin d levels are 50 it should have healed in four years and it didn't. Right. So new imaging focused just on the sacrum to find out what's going on. Then the radiologist that read her film from February of 22 said she also has arachnoiditis. That the radiologist that read it in February didn't mention the stress fracture, didn't mention arachnoiditis didn't mention, all he mentioned was venous engorgement. Excuse me? So it takes, in a perfect world, if you could immobilize a structure and if it was in a place where it could heal, it takes six weeks to heal a stress fracture. I'm not going to have her stay here for six weeks and lend her a custom care and a converter to treat the fracture every night. Right. So go home and see if you can figure out whether it really is a stress fracture, whether when they cut the roof off the sacrum, did they, they use a bone saw, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's a bone saw. What if it, zigged when it should have zagged what if it's not a stress fracture what if there's a chunk of bone laying on the or floor or laying in the bucket in the or that just was an oops right stuff happens it's yeah i don't you think thing roughly the same thing for three days and then when it became clear that wasn't going to work i said let's pretend that you have a torn si joint Let's pretend that your SI joints are lax. Yeah. And so we taped them and she was good for two days. And then when it got worse, she got scared and they took the tape off. Then when I took the tape, put the tape back on, it, because it felt different, it frightened her. So some of this is her emotional response to the pain. Everything scares her. Yeah. And running the emotional frequencies is not the thing. It's all 40 and 89. It's all centralized. Yeah. So I used all the tricks in the bag. Every single day that she was there, I had six units on her. Two from neck to feet to treat the cord and the thalamus. Two, three, two from back to front to treat 
the dura, the arachnoid, the fracture, once I found out the fracture was there, one to treat torn and broken in the connective tissue in case the SI joint was torn, and one from sacrum to feet with increased secretions in the nerve, trauma in the nerve. So there were two units just running on 396, two units running on the cord in the midbrain, two, three units. So where am I? Two, four, seven. Yeah. Three units running from the sacrum to the front to treat the arachnoid, the bone. And even we even did the spinal segments. So S1 segment is yeah. two zero. Yeah. There isn't a frequency for S2, S3, and S4, but I made them up. So yesterday I ran those sacral segments, didn't do any, didn't touch it. Okay, fine. I'm out of, there's just no more rabbits in the hat. To me, because <laughs> I know, right? That's a word. Yeah. Uh, because you had made a dent in the pain though, during the treatment that, that to me sparks a little bit of hope, but the fact that she can't get to the car is yeah. not good. Yeah. And <laughs> there's always the patient that says, it's always better when I lay down anyway. Yeah, sure. Okay. Does it go to a zero? No, but it's better when I lay down. So in her head, she's not sure that it's doing anything. So I, I just, I'm, yeah. And I leave Thursday and I don't get back until the following Thursday. And I, yeah, I don't, I just, yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, it, it's a part of being just real and like, you're not expected. You, there's no possible way you're that good that you could fix the entire planet. Like we have to, you're, you're amazing. And you can fix amazing things, but every human, every, everything has a limit. And to your point, maybe there's enough emotion behind it. That's just not there yet. Yeah. Right. That's just not ready to be fixed. I agree. There's a piece of that in there and that's not something you tell them. No. And they're not aware of it, but I think once you've been in practice for a long time, I've even seen it with athletes who you would think are chomping at the bit, trying to get back faster. There is always a component to certain people that are worried about what that comeback is going to look like. Yep. Will I be as fast? Is it easier to just stay injured right now? Yeah. And got disability insurance. So is this the time to hang it up, even though I'm just 28 and I could do two more, three more seasons, but yeah, no, I get it. And then there was, there's a professional golfer that I saw back in the day and he would, he had facet generated pain. He had SI joint problems. And we gave him exercises. There were things he wasn't supposed to do. We'd treat him, he'd get better. As long as his manager was off out of the office, out of the treatment room, when his manager was gone, he'd say, I've been doing this for 18 years. I'm just ready to retire. 
the manager is pushing him to get treated because he's the manager's the patient kept doing dumb stuff because he wanted to stop playing golf. And if he was consistently injured enough, then he could retire. It's just. That's very, it's very interesting. I, another selfless, selfish plug on the FSM Game Changers podcast that comes on every two weeks because I'm too busy. I talk to you once a week, so I can't possibly talk to other people. I had the honor and privilege of having Andy O'Brien on. So that should be published today or tomorrow. Andy O'Brien is a brilliant exercise scientist. He's worked with the best of the best in all sports all across the planet. And we were talking about generalization versus specialization with athletes, with professions, in professional sports. And I've always been in the bubble of jack of all trades, master of nothing, has no place in healthcare or no place in professional sports. I, The practitioners I've worked with were, have all been very good at their and what they do at their bubble. I've seen amazing manual therapists, amazing chiropractors, amazing trainers, FSM practitioners, and they're just very good at what they do. So we were talking about with athletes, there's been this big shift in getting 10,000 reps in to be, to have mastery at something. Now I can say, now that's a good base. So, and I get it to get really good at something. You have to do it to be a very good dressage writer wasn't rocket science. I had to get on a horse a lot more than I was um, speak for two years. And I had the strongest core I had ever had riding as much as I did, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah. But what we're seeing right now on the healthcare front are teenagers with repetitive strain injuries. And what I was saying when he's a huh, huh, and I'm like, no, 20 years ago, you would never put teenager and repetitive strain in the same sentence. Like repetitive strain injuries were for old people that did stuff like scanning groceries all the time. So movement patterns have become redundant neurologically and psychologically. And so just like piggyback off of what you're saying, I was seeing a teenager for a while who really wasn't getting better. And questioning my methods. And I wasn't just doing FSM. There was a ton of manual therapy, exercise therapy, where he was working with other people. And the one day the parents weren't in the room and I'm like, how's it going? How's everything going? School, friendships, talk to me. We've got an hour. I want to hear all about your life. And tears. From the kid? Miss Kim, I just don't, I'm just so tired. I just don't want to do this anymore. Oh, okay. And that's what I said. I'm like, all right. I just don't want to get, I just don't want to get better. I just don't want to do anything. I'm just tired. And my heart broke a little bit because the weight of the world was on this kid's shoulders, but what an easy fix. Yeah. You get to find something else that brings you joy and I'll help you have a conversation with your mom and dad and I'll help you have a conversation with your coach, whatever you need me to do. Let me help you because you're not getting better and that's not cool. Yeah. So 
you became his ally in that moment, you turned into a person who would listen to him. And I know we have a lot of patients that listen to the podcast. I know we probably have a little bit more practitioners that listen to us. So practitioner to practitioner, don't discount that personal relationship that you develop of not just being the fix it guy. And I get it. We want to just fix everything. But like you said, you become maybe the only person in their corner at times that listens to them, like really listens. I'm, I am, I can guarantee I am the only one that will take a one or two, like they, my new patients are three hours. And if I can do a one hour history, great. But if the history is tangential, it's non-linear or it's complicated, you all have histories that go two hours and they just go, nobody's ever asked me that. And you have to get to know all the features. And then because you had so many visits with him, you had a relationship with him. And there's a question from Jane wondered what can interfere with the frequencies with some individuals. The challenge that we have, there, it says besides interference from other electromagnetic fields, there, are no, there is no other, there is no interference from other electromagnetic fields. We, no, it, that's not a thing. So we work on professional athletes that just never get off their phone. They're yeah. watching videos in the training room watching videos, talking to their manager, talking to their girlfriend, just because they're used to being effectively a piece of meat. Yes, you can work on me and I'm going to do my thing. So it's not interference from electromagnetic fields. The challenge with FSM is you have to treat the right thing with the right thing. So this kid with the pelvic floor pain, like they had been using a wand on his, through his anus, onto his pelvic floor muscles, all that stuff, and trigger points. Nobody had ever done a sensory exam. Nobody had ever shown him, thank you. Nobody had ever shown him a picture of the S2 disc. Wow. And why did I do that? Because when I measured the sensation in the S3 nerve root, right around his boy parts, okay that's not normal yeah it's yeah so why the results don't hold that's a stable state i can get rid of nerve pain i can get rid of all the trigger points in the pelvic floor okay how do you get it to hold and dealing with the emotional side of him was amazing how sensitive he is Given his background, it's like he talks about, I want to be able to feel closer to people. And I have this resistance. He's the only one in 27 years of doing this where I ran increased secretions in the posterior pituitary because his blood pressure is low. And given circumstances in his early childhood, it's a pretty good chance that he doesn't have much oxytocin. Okay, let's try it. So we did it two days in a row and his blood pressure stayed normal. 
he got super stoned and he said, I feel better. So, okay. And he bought a custom care and a converter, a custom care. Yeah. So it's the person, it's the stable state. Yes. Teenagers with repetitive strain injuries, especially if they're playing like baseball, they don't have any testosterone until they're 19. That's not another conversation. So there's, you can't put tissue back. That's not there. Yeah. And you can't make a bicycle into a car. You can't, there's, yeah. And it's funny because when we deal with a certain demographic all the time, we just have certain assumptions, certain presentations that these people are going to come in with. And Becoming a better listener has helped me really see every individual that is walking in, not just stereotyping, thinking, oh, this is just another football player. Oh, this will be easy. It's no, this is a person with this history, with these emotions at this time. And I've started to ask new questions with my history and with my interview. I definitely don't do a two hour or three hour intake. I can't, I'm not there yet. You can. In my skill set, I'm not sure that it's so necessary. I do ask my patients to give me as much information via an email before, so I can try to at least ask the right questions when they come in. But I've been asking, especially new patients. And when I've seen somebody for a while and I recheck, sometimes you do like a longer visit after a while to redo an assessment. So I'll ask them, Tell me about what it looks like when I've helped you rehabilitate from this injury. What is your life going to look like? Exactly. And sometimes it's instant joy on their face. Oh, I'm going to golf and I'm going to walk my dog more and I'm going to cook dinner all the time. And sometimes there's that flash of panic. Jeez, I haven't gone that far yet. I don't know. I've been in pain for so long. I can't imagine my life without it. And I I used to say things like, tell me how I can help you or tell me what you think, you know, that's also been something like, how can I help? I'm not going to fix it. This is a partnership, but how can I help you? And sometimes their feedback is completely unrealistic. I want to go to the Olympic trials. I'm sorry. You're 76 years old. And that has sailed, but let's get you out of the walker first. How about that? <laughs> let's get you going to Safeway. Again, going back to the practitioners and going back to being real, asking really good questions and being really realistic with your skill set. Again, I had talked to Andy and we were talking about the importance of having your bubble of practitioners that you can call on a moment's notice and ask a question to. And that's what I value so much about his relationship and my relationship with some of the other trainers that I've had on is I can ask them in a split second, what would you do for this? Or this is what I'm seeing. I never feel stupid when I ask questions to this group because it will come back. They will say, Kim, have you ever seen this? And I never think for a moment guy is so stupid. He just needs to open up netters. And he would see that because we all see things with a different lens. And like you were saying, you're neurocentric that you, and you've seen so much in your professional history. 
that you just can't unsee certain things for the good or for the bad. Concussion in Vegas. That's the other thing that gets run on almost everybody. Uh-huh. Is the vagus nerve, because the vagus nerve regulates the immune system and reduces inflammation. Yeah. So that's you, anybody with that comes in with digestive problems or immune system problems. One of the seven or five machines that's running on them is running concussion in Vegas. And then there are the patients. It's like the problem she came in with that bothered her the most was burning mouth syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was a 12 deficiency sort of thing, but she stuck her tongue out. Her tongue was pink, no ridges, not red, not B12. Her red blood cells were normal, but she had really good testing. And just like, you're allergic to gluten. And she's sitting there eating saltine crackers every three to 10 minutes the whole time we're talking. And it's then, I don't know anything about burning mouth syndrome. So I looked it up and it's, oh, it's related to food allergies. So yeah, I can't help you with burning mouth syndrome until you stop eating gluten. Oh, okay. It does. That's okay. That's off the table. So now here's, I can treat your swollen knee. I can treat your left shoulder. I can treat your neck and we'll turn the vagus on to get the inflammation turned down, but you've got to, and we can fix, help your leaky gut. That's easy. You are the one that's in charge of burning mouth because you eating gluten every five minutes is perpetuating it. Okay, fine. So sometimes it's not about the frequencies. It's about the big picture. Yes. How do you get things to last? One of the questions is how do you get it to last? It's it's gotta be a stable state, physical, mechanical, emotional, immunological, neurological. Yeah. Stable state. The learning never stops, does it? No. And sorry. (laughs) It's funny. I was talking to my therapist last week and we were talking about something and she says, Kim, there are many steps to success and they never take the line that we think they're going to. And there's been some really neat memes that I've seen about zigzagging and you you see a person on a step going, oh, I only have this far to go. And then you see how far they came. Right. And again, try not to compare yourself or your path to somebody else's path. So I think that also is an important step as we're working with these patients that have been through the ringer that have seen so many things. Sometimes we can get really myopic in our thinking because we're, I don't want to say tainted, but we're prejudiced sometimes, especially yourself. I remember I was up in Portland with you. We were doing one of the pain and injury modules during COVID together. And a patient had come in that we did use as a demo. And I think he was about to get a spinal cord stimulator or patch or inject something. And you're like, no, oh no. And he was like, Oh, but I heard they're so good. And you're like, I'm sorry. I, they could work. I've always just seen the ones that have failed or that had all the things. And there was that moment where you were just like, yeah, I guess it 
could have a positive outcome, but you don't see those positive outcomes because they would never see you if it had a positive outcome. That's the thing. It's I admit that I have a skewed view that I only see the failures. Sure. The challenge is that the surgeons see them at week two and most of the time, with the exception of my hip surgeon, most of the time, the surgeon never sees them one or two years later when the surgery has failed or surgery has a consistent side effect that is specific to this surgeon. There's one, one neurosurgeon in this area where my patient had weakness and atrophy in C6 after a disc, C5-6 disc. In the waiting room, this patient met five other patients that had exactly the same side effect. Wow. And it's, so I only see the failures. That one I admit. So radiofrequency ablation of the nerve roots, one of the most validating events of the last five years was last year in the core, we had a physiatrist pain management specialist, physiatrist, who's in his 50s. And I went off about radiofrequency ablation. So URF, a joint, for those of you that don't know, they insert something that creates heat and they kill the nerves in the joint. They also cook the cartilage, cook the capsule, but they kill the nerves. Okay. Now, that typically lasts, provides relief, and it lasts six to 12 months. And when the nerves grow back, it's like trimming a rose bush. You cut one and you get three back. And when they come back, they have an opinion about what you did. They're sensitized. And this physiatrist who used to do RFs until he found out that they didn't work, sitting there nodding. And I looked at him nodding and said, thank you. And he said, I don't know why they still do them. The research doesn't support it. They know for sure that they're going to have to redo them in six to 12 to 18 months. And they know that after a period of time, they simply won't work. And then you get to insert a spinal cord stimulant above the level. Right. And it's so, there you go. Uh, this podcast went by, it was, this was the fastest podcast we've ever done. Linda has a question. Is FSM beneficial for treating lung fibrosis? What's it called? Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, IPF. We did a research. I did. We, two chiropractors in the state of Minnesota and a researcher in Minnesota. We did a three-day, four-day research project with eight patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Some were very progressed. Most of them were on oxygen. Idiopathic means they don't know where it comes from. This researcher from the university had a model that said that it starts because of mechanical problems at the base of the lungs, because it always starts at the bottom in the back. Mm. And they fibrose from the bottom up. If it was something they breathed in, it would start from the top down. 
Hmm. And so she had a model. So we worked based on her model, the psoas, the quadratus lumborum, the pleura, and the lung tissue. Didn't make, made a three of four, about 50% of them improved temporarily. 50, nobody got worse, no change, or got a little bit better. And she wanted to do a larger trial. And I, she's, a, she's not a clinician. And I said, pointed out to her inclusionary and exclusionary criteria, how to design a study and risk assessment. And she had never thought about the placebo group. She had never thought about crossovers. She had never thought about what happens when you treat it. The biggest problem with FSM and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is you can't put tissue back that's not there. In a perfect world, if we knew what was causing it, we could slow the progression. I could always make my dear friend, John, who had a lung transplant and a double lung transplant because of IPF. I could always make him feel better for two days, but he had to run FSM to reduce inflammation and for hypoxia. Hmm. So it's a temporary palliative fix, but right. for a condition that is universally fatal, unpleasantly so, that's okay. That's not a, and will reducing inflammation reduce the fibrosis? Right. Maybe. It's, I don't know, it's worth a try. It's not like anything else helps. So that's why I treated the lady from New York. It's not like anything else is gonna help. It's always worth a try. Hi. What an hour. What my, heart, my heart feels like filled somehow. I don't know, this was a good one. This was a necessary chat today. It's. Sometimes it's not about the frequencies. It's about how you think and who you are in right. relationship to yourself and in relationship to your patients. That's right. So what's your closing quote for today? I can hardly wait. So it doesn't really fit, but maybe it does. Okay. Because so the, okay, the phrase is, this is for my athletes, focus on you until the focus is on you. Do that one again. Focus on you yeah. until the focus is on you. Okay, you're gonna have to translate that one for me. I'd... So the athlete has to do the work. Right. You have to put the focus on themselves. Right. And when they do that, the external focus okay. will become onto them. So it doesn't really fit this podcast so much, but I think it does because I, if I'm going to extrapolate it and make it work, which I'm good at doing, it's also putting the focus back on yourself as a human, as an honest, caring, empathetic individual, because that's why most of us got into the field that we did and taking care of ourselves and being real with our limits and being real with yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And then there's the, what I didn't teach you, what I couldn't teach you, that presentation. You can't sprinkle that now as we're about to leave. I'll put it on the website. People can look at it and 
bring Kleenex. Yeah. I, yes, but it's the same sort of situation, right? It's not just about the frequencies. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to go talk to RSD patients. Yes. So tell us where we can find that. That's on Facebook live right now. No. And it's our, yeah, Facebook live in about now, three minutes ago uh, at RSDSA on Facebook. It's the RSD support something. (laughs) SA. So that's, and I have, I took our basic RSD presentation, cleaned it up. And yeah, and the, I told them not to be nervous because I have 58 slides to do in 45 minutes. Oh, he got this. Yeah, it's your pro. Love you. Have a great chat with RSD. We will tune in and watch and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.